Welcome to the wonderful world of wine. We are your hosts, Mark Lindsay and Kim Simone, exploring all things wine with you. You can find us on Facebook at The Wonderful World of Wine. Hello again, and welcome to the wonderful world of wine. Kim and I are here to talk wine with you today and all things we found in this wonderful world of wine. So, Kim, we like to start our show talking about to our listeners about what did we Google ourselves this week. So what did you Google this week? So I went a little off the wine path for my, my research this week, and I was looking into some cocktails because I was given a bottle of liqueur that is a, it's a, a type of Amaro, and I was wondering, what the heck am I going to do with this stuff? And I like to make a lot of cocktails that incorporate sparkling wine in them, so I was hoping that I could find some sort of uh, sparkling wine cocktail that I could make with Amaro, but I kind of went down a rabbit hole <laughs> into these other things that I could do with them. And in fact, I had a lovely Amaro cocktail out to dinner with a bunch of my legal seafoods friends on Tuesday that was really lovely so you know these are more bitter styles of liqueur that have a real savoriness to them some of them are based on citrus or on rhubarb or on herbs um, they're usually a, a pretty dark color and you can drink them straight or you can drink them with other things and this was a bourbon amaro cocktail with some orange that we had the other night and I really like bourbon so it was right up my alley did you try it with the with the sparkling? Um, I have not yet. No. Because, no. I mean, Aperol is... Yeah, so an Aperol, you know, they are all kind of in the same family. So that was actually what I was thinking of doing, is doing sort of like a twist on an Aperol spritz. Yeah, um, sounds But like with it would this, work. Uh, this fun, funky Amaro that I got. Sounds like it would work to me. I think so. Yeah. It's not summer anymore, but you can drink spritz whenever. All works. And it involves wine. That's so right. That's good. And what about yourself? This week, Kim, I was looking at a certification that we covered in one of our last tastings was Green String Certification. Uh, this was something new. It's a sustainable sustainable certification that was really pretty much marketed and developed by Fred Klein of Klein Vineyards in Sonoma. The goal was to create some sort of self-nourishing ecosystem with minimum human intervention. So just another level of sustainability that we saw on a label and uh, researched and found out it was something new. Uh, so if you see it on a, on a wine label, green string certification, that's what it has to do with. Our first topic today is from Vine Pier, a, a blog we like to follow a lot. You might find a lot of interesting articles here. It's how oak affects wine trends. And two big things we talk about a lot, oak and wine trends. First off, Kim, let's talk about to our listeners, what is considered an oaky wine? To me, oak wine is something that's either fermented or aged in oak. And I'd like to know from you how you interpret oak wines and what you see for trending on oak wines. So you're absolutely right that there could be a couple of different ways that we can look at what is an oaky wine. Um, like you said, the wine can either be actually fermented in an oak barrel or it can be fermented in something else like stainless steel and then put into an oak barrel for its aging, its maturation process. So oftentimes we talk about these smaller sized oak barrels that are very expensive if you buy them brand new and there's a lot of work that goes into the creation of these barrels. There's different wood you can use 
use, different toasting levels, and, and a lot of the final flavor of the wine will be impacted by what has been done to that oak barrel, how that barrel has been created. So for me, when we talk about oaky wines, it covers all of it. And it, it actually also covers if oak has been used in a different way for flavoring the wine, sort of thinking of it as like a tea bag of oak chips or pieces of oak that have been put into a stainless steel fermenter full of wine. And you kind of have like an, an inverted oak barrel where instead of putting the wine in the oak, you're putting the oak in the wine. So I, for me to keep it simple, any wine that has contact with wood um, or with oak flavor, I would consider to be an oaky wine. Because for me, at the end of the day, it's about how is the consumer reacting to those flavors? And how is the consumer interpreting those flavors? Do they like it? Do they not like it? That that's really what matters to me and not necessarily how the oak gets into the wine. I'm glad you mentioned the tea bag thing with oak, <laughs> I like to talk with about oak chips. Because once again, we just want to remind our listeners that there is no regulation in the United States. If you say a wine is oak, what does that mean? It doesn't mean it was in an oak barrel. Like Kim said, it could be oak chips that were put in a little tea bag and thrown in the vessel to just give it some flavor. It can be a powder that's an oak dust. So uh, if you're saying oaked, you, you don't know. So this brings me to the question for you, Kim, is when, when you are researching a wine or you go to buy a wine, do you find a value to say or to read what type of oak, how long a wine is an oak? Do you think it's a value to our listeners to know that? I think it's a value to me because I can interpret that data and I understand what they're saying when they say that it's French oak barrels 100% from this forest and half of them are first year and half of them are second year and it's 18 months in this and six months in that. That's a lot of data and I know how that information translates into flavor, but not a lot of consumers do. So just the idea that something is aged in oak, sometimes that's all the information that they're going to understand. And even the difference between French oak and American oak is information that is kind of lost on people. I think it's value, valuable to have it there because people who do know the difference want to know that stuff. But I don't know how many people actually comprehend what all of that stuff means. Yeah, I, I totally agree. And that's how exactly how I use it on my notes on shelves. If someone is looking for an oaked wine, I can quickly look at my notes and say, okay, this is American oak. This is how long it's in oak. I know based on what you're asking for, I can quickly look and know without picking up the text sheet right. on a wine. It really so, comes down to the final flavor and what, what are people looking for and what, are, what do they want to taste? So how do we, as the people who can read all those notes and know what they mean, how do we translate that into explaining to you how the wine is going to taste to you? So I believe this article was saying the trend tends to be now more what they call neutral oak or used oak or older oak or just non-oak at all for aging. So the older your oak barrel is, the less of that flashy oaky flavor you're going to get out of it. So after a few years of use, um, I believe it's three years, an oak barrel is considered to be neutral. So you're still going to get the benefit of having a little bit of oxygen get into the wine when you age it in an oak barrel, but you're not going to get those spicy, vanilla, nutty, creamy flavors out of it. I see 
trend as far as difference for reds and whites for me in mm-hmm. this trend. I see whites oaked trending down, but red oaks wine still staying the same. Not going up, but there seems to be always reds or always some sort of oak treatment just because of the style of wine. It's needed. So you're still seeing that. But in the in the whites, I'm not seeing people coming in looking for oaky, you know, oak dust flavored wines. Yeah, they I want would, that more creamy. They want that more fruity. Style. I would agree for the whites. You know, the, the trend does seem to be towards lighter, brighter whites. Sauvignon Blancs are, are overtaking Chardonnay as far as their popularity, which 10 years ago, you weren't seeing. Um, so for me as a Sauvignon Blanc drinker, that very encouraging. And I think that, you know, as we've been following these trends of people looking for sort of lighter beverages, I think it's not just lighter in alcohol or lighter or lower in calories, but feeling lighter on your palate, something that tastes refreshing and is has a little bit more zip to it. So I agree with you that this, this trend for uh, lower or less use of oak for white wines uh, is certainly a thing. And, I, and I'll take it because I think it makes those wines be much better with food. And that's what I'm kind of constantly looking for. What varietal or grape surprises you when you when you're reading or researching and you see that it's in oak have you ever come across that um i mean often i'm surprised when i get an oaky pinot noir because there is there kind of can be these differences of style when when you're talking about oak there's this more i think judicious use of oak where you let the fermentation or the aging happen in kind of a low and slow way so that the flavors integrate more and that the first thing you taste isn't the oak but the oak is like kind of in the background and it's rounding all the flavors out as opposed to this really like flashy, whoo, you know, that I smell like a marshmallow and like, you know, a vanilla bean and and all of this sort of can be delicious and can smell really wonderful, but very different approaches to it. So when I get a Pinot Noir that maybe doesn't taste oaky at all, but I find out that it has been aged in oak, I'm always a little bit surprised by that because it's in the background and it's rounding out that wine without necessarily standing out as if it's been aged in a barrel. So so sometimes with something lighter like a Pinot Noir, that does it for me. So I don't know now if it's a good thing or it scares me as we do more shows that we agree more on <laughs> we topics. Have been that was all fun more. of disagreeing with Aww. you, but I totally agree with you on Pinot Noir oaks because when you open a Pinot you're expecting a certain style. I'm always expecting, number one, which I shouldn't, that it's 100% Pinot Noir. And it's going to be fruit. It's going to be spice. But when you get that kind of weight or texture or an oak on a Pinot Noir, it totally throws me off. Like, why did you do this? Are they trying to mask something mm. which, which they like, can commonly do? Why are you covering up this elegant Pinot Noir fruit? With oak. And then the other thing that shocks me about when you see oak Pinot, if it's an inexpensive bottle and they're putting it in, in new oak for six months, why... Why are you doing that? But, you know, now I'm scared because we agreed. (laughs) Anything else on oak trends or wine trends? Um, I think just a little bit of background for people, too, is helpful. I think the whole reason why an article like this is important right now is because it is different and it is a change. Because just like everything else in the world, wine has, at different times, certain styles be fashionable and then other styles not be fashionable. So, you know, these things do change. And in the, say, the, the 1990s, we were in an era of these big, flashy, oaky, 
powerful, jammy, lush red wines that because of the influence of certain wine critics like Robert Parker, those were styles of wines that he liked and that he gave high scores to. And when something got a really high Parker score, then it would sell very well. And so then winemakers sort of started to kind of adjust their winemaking so that they could appeal to what he liked, therefore get higher scores, therefore be able to sell their wines for more money and sell out every vintage. So we really did see this trend of higher alcohol, more lush flavors, riper flavors, and much more use of new oak um, in the mid to early 90s. That started trending down, I would say, about 10 years ago. And now we've really reached this point where those wines are not really considered to be the wines that maybe should be getting higher scores. And and Parker has retired. So, you know, there's this change in that part of it as well. But just looking at the idea that once upon a time, people were drinking these bigger, more powerful oaked wines. And same thing with Chardonnay. This was the era of big oaky shards as well. And now we're seeing kind of the reverse of it. So it's, it's always interesting for me to kind of take the long term and recognize that tastes change and that trends are always changing and to kind of pay attention to where we are now. Do you think any part of this trend has to do with consumer price points? Because if I'm making a wine and I'm noticing I'm using new oak and no one's buying a $30 bottle because I'm using new oak, and all of a sudden I can reduce that cost to $20 because I'm using neutral oak. Mm-hmm. You think that's what could be driving the trend or Maybe. just in general the, the palate of the U.S. consumer? I don't know. That's a very interesting question. I feel like usually it's the opposite. It's like the winemaker makes a decision and then the consumer drinks it and <laughs> figures out from there. But yeah. I, I don't know. How I don't know t- where it starts. How many times has someone presented you a wine and, and say it's a Chardonnay and you, you right away, you, the first thing I'll ask is, what's the price point? Is it oaked? <laughs> and if they say 30 and it's oaked, I'll say, I'm not interested. Right? I mean, do you have Because that kind stylistically, of, you kind of know just, what it's going to be. Because we know it seems to be not be trending. That's not what I need right now. Yeah. Do you get that way when you're looking um, at wine? A little bit. I tend to go when my bias pops up in that one is when somebody will say, okay, yeah, it's a $40 California Chardonnay. I already have this preconceived notion in my head that it's going to be, Better be new extracted oak. and lots of oak and creamy and spicy, not necessarily a style that I drink all that often, except in certain situations. So I might not necessarily think that I'm going to like it because I already think it's going to be a certain style that I, that I don't tend to like. You're listening to The Wonderful World of Wine. We are your hosts, Mark and Kim. You can find more information about Mark on his website, franklinlickers.com, and more information about myself at vinitaswineworks.com. So something that we were talking about when uh, we mentioned sustainability in wine a couple of episodes ago, we were talking about recycling and thankfully uh, stumbled across an article about how you can recycle your wine corks. And unfortunately, it's not really as easy as it sounds. No, there's certain types because there's different types of cork. Only certain ones are recyclable and basically the natural corks. And I believe we covered this a long time ago because I always remember one gardening tip you gave with this. But years ago, I partnered with the company and their slogan was, we want your corks because we have collection bins that you can drop them off. And what I'm supposed to do with them, Kim, is put them in a box and ship them back to this manufacturer that makes them into sandals and eyeglass frames and cork boards, but I never really do it because everyone uses them for crafts. (laughs) So I would say 90% of things are recycled 
burst as a craft. So people ask you for corks and you give them corks for oh, using yeah. your crafts? Yeah, oh, the that's bin, nice. The bin never, I think once or twice I ship them back to be recycled. Other than that, I'm handing boxes and boxes of corks to people who are making wreaths and everything well, else I'm going to give them, you my corks because I have tons of corks at home. But that's great because you do get these requests for corks for art projects from a lot of people. And I had just recently seen something, I think it was on Facebook, about selling your corks on eBay and that there is a market for this. And I was like, hey, this is something we're, that we're talking about on our show. Oh, wait, first you said you're going to recycle them to me. Now you say you're going to sell them. I don't, I don't know. <laughs> I haven't made up my mind. So I think it's yeah. probably going to be a whole lot easier just to give them to you. So Typical I think Kim, I will give them to you. looking for the money, right? That's right. Well, you know, the, the wheels start turning. Yeah, yeah. A lot of wine, two kids. <laughs> That's make right. Money. Um, and I think the one that I had told you about was, was it composting the corks? Yes. That you How could you put them in your compost. In your, in your garden. Yep. Or you, you, you actually mulched with them or something? Didn't we, you chop them up and no, put we fertilizer? No, we, we, um, we put them in our compost pile. And uh, there was another thing that I think my husband stumbled across this idea. This kind of goes along with the crafty thing. Uh, but if you have natural cork and you soak them in alcohol, like rubbing alcohol, they make great little fire starters for your like outdoor fire pit or campfire. I saw that one. Is that the one where you have to boil them first? There was one project mm. I saw you have to boil them to do something it, with. Maybe. I'm not sure. He's he's handling that that project, not me. I like the I like the craft thing. I think people. You know, that's probably one of the biggest joke on Pinterest is that I I drink the wine because I need the corks <laughs> to, to make crafts or something like that. That's funny. But it's it's great to have these recycle programs, and and it's it's unusual that more stores don't do it because we recycle bags. You know, why not have a special bin for this? Yeah. And I was surprised when I went and I looked. There was a, a couple of websites that were featured in this article to give you ideas of where you can actually bring your stuff back. And there were maps attached to them. And there aren't really a whole lot of places locally that you can bring your corks back to recycle because you do need to do them in these designated spots because you can't recycle them curbside. So if you have recycling pickup, which a lot of people do alongside their trash, you can't just throw them in the recycling bin. There's no way for them to to use those. So utilizing a store like Mark's that has a bin to collect the corks or to, if you have a bunch of friends who are into crafts and they want them apparently that's a very popular idea as well i tell you you could do some very interesting projects collecting like if you brought me your bag of corks i could tell a lot about you from your wine selection (laughs) you know you'll have a million champagne corks in there i can tell if it's all the same cork i know your brand so be careful when you bring them to me i I know a lot about you but it's not it's not going to tell you how many uh, bottles i drink that have screw caps though no no and then you should that's a good point brought about the the metal anything that's the plastic cork or the cage of a champagne cork those are not to be included in the in the recycling bin the, especially the plastic ones because it messes up when they grind it mm-hmm. it mixes in with the natural cork so it's natural cork only so a couple of websites that you can uh, check out if you want to find out more about this topic uh, is recork america uh, which can give you some options and then also there's a specific brand is this the one that you use TerraCycle? No, i use the recork you do the that's recork the, that's the one that has the um, we want your cork okay. uh, slogan. Yep. So recork and you can always bring them to Mark here at Franklin Liquors and then check out TerraCycle as well. You're listening to The Wonderful World of Wine, and we are your hosts, Mark Lindsay and Kim Simone, exploring all things wine with you. If you'd like to get more information about Kim, please go to her website at vinitaswineworks.com. If you'd like to get more information about myself, please go to franklinliquors.com. 
If you'd like to follow our show, you can find us on Facebook at The Wonderful World of Wine. We would love your questions or comments. Next, we want to talk about a blog by Blake Gray about some countries' wine is not as green as you think. So green, when we say green, Kim, what, what are we talking about? Tell the listeners. So we're talking about environmental responsibility, sustainability. Now, there's a, a lot of sort of buzzwords in marketing around the idea of sustainability and certain countries' wine marketing has really sort of heavily emphasized that they are a green or, or more sustainable type of wine industry. And the one that immediately comes to mind for me for this is New Zealand, because they've always sort of presented themselves as being environmentally conscious when it comes to their winemaking. Although there have been some things in the news lately that are showing that they're kind of actually not. Yeah, scary. But be- before we touch on New Zealand, I have to ask, because you, you mentioned what is green sustainable. Do you consider organic green? Yes. So it's all part it's of- It's part of it. It's all part of that. Yes. But I, I don't think it's organics. only organic. Like, I don't think that you necessarily have to have organic certification to be doing things that are taking the environment into into consideration and being aware of your resources and trying to do good. Because he did mix. He, he talked about sustainable countries, but then he talked about organic grapes within the sustainable countries. So, yeah, I think organic so, is part of it, but I don't think it's the be all and end all of sustainability. So you mentioned New Zealand. I always interrupt you and go off and my right. question because I'll forget them. So I have to ask you <laughs> right away. So New Zealand was always one of those countries we hear is always 100% sustainable, along with South Africa, we've heard this, along with Sonoma County in uh, California, we hear they're 100% sustainable. So it came out that they are not necessarily as environmentally friendly or sustainable as we thought. And he gave some stats, Kim. So would you like to tell our listeners what you thought or what these numbers were that scared you? Nothing scared you? I'm going to let you carry on. Okay. Well, uh, well, they mentioned that only 9% of the grapes were organic per county. So certified grapes, only 9% certified grapes. So when I was asking you earlier, sustainable or green, they're sustainable, but they're not growing organically a lot. So that's where he's kind of mixing the two. Yeah. And I, I don't think if you're helping the environment being sustainable with energy or and things in the vineyards, but you're not grown organically, do you think that is a bad thing? Do you think as a, as a, as wine people, should we should we be telling people that this is bad? Because some me, people certainly do take that stance that if you aren't growing organically, then you're not doing you're not doing it the right way. I don't necessarily believe that. I I feel like we do what we can do, and just because someone isn't taking the steps of getting certified to be organic which has a lot of steps and then unless it a lot of people think that if you're not fully committed, then you're not doing it right. And there are some years that grape growers and winemakers will be like, well, we don't want to go for organic certification because we want to be able to have in our back pocket the ability to use certain things that aren't able to be used if you are organic, just in case you have a situation where it would make the difference between losing your crop and not losing your crop. So, I mean, I can ki- I can understand that. I mean, yes, it's important to make sure that we smartly use 
pesticides or herbicides. But if it's the difference between one year, a family is not going to have a livelihood because their entire crop is lost. I have a little bit of an issue with taking the human element out of that. So let's let's look, Kim. The New Zealand is only growing 9% organic grapes, but they're sustainable, 100% sustainable. So they say. Compared to <laughs> other countries, Italy is 15.8% organic grape growing. And that's one of the high. Is, was that was that the highest on the list? The highest was, they say, UK at 22.5, Belgium at 19.6. But those are countries that don't grow a lot of grapes. But what they're growing is very high. Mm-hmm. So 9% were thinking, okay, that's low. New Zealand's low. The US is 2.7%, mm-hmm. right? So once again, Sonoma might be 100% sustainable, but they probably only get 2% but not organic. organic, right? And when you think about it, yeah, I always see sustainable wines from Sonoma, but I never see organically grown or organic grapes. And then Russia was 0%. <laughs> so don't get any Russian grapes because you're not going to find organic. I was actually surprised that Spain came in so low here because I remember that there was a push a few years ago from the government to provide subsidies for wineries to go organic and to increase their acreage of organic wines. And I was a little surprised that even with that push that they weren't higher on this list. They were somewhere around like, I don't know, 5% or so. Like you said, Kim, things happen in the vineyard. So in New Zealand, the climate can be tricky. So they might need to do something on one vintage to protect the crop from mildew or something Mm -hmm. like that. So they can't be sustainable. You have to be sustainable usually for a certain amount of years and they can't be. So maybe most of the time they are, but they're not reporting it all the time. So I I don't think, was he saying this was like putting this out as it's a bad thing that they're not what you think they are or was he just bringing it out to say, hey, just be aware because I I took it that way. I think the undercurrent was be aware that the marketing side of it, they might be trying to pull something over on you. And, And I think that that is the issue with using the word sustainable instead of actually going for the organic certification is there's that fine line between the people who are actually doing it and then the other people who aren't maybe necessarily doing it but are still using the term because it's unregulated and they're using it to sell more wine because they know that consumers are interested in this these days and that people are trying to do what's right when it comes to their consumer products that they're buying and trying to eat a little healthier and we're we're trying to lessen our impact on the planet and when you have a term like sustainable or a term like green that's not regulated yes there are some people that are you know really going to go for it and then there are other ones who are going to take advantage of that i'm surprised that new zealand as a country doesn't really promote the sustainability that 100% they're proud of it, but more it's more individual vineyards telling you about it than the countries telling you about it. Well, I think part of that is that they don't have like a very cohesive, a like, a, like a wine, like, um, wine guild kind of thing. No, like other countries like France, all of France's little areas have like a, a group or a nonprofit that its sole purpose is to promote the wines of that particular region. New Zealand doesn't really have anything like that. They're not particularly cohesive. Um, I think it's all you know every winery kind of for themselves yeah, so that, that was, might be part of the issue that was exactly what i was yeah. saying that they they are all for themselves but they have a good thing going as a country like you can you could never say all of the united states is 100 percent sustainable i mean that's phenomenal no. <laughs> so to say and even south africa they say they're 100 percent sustainable but they don't really promote it as a mm-hmm. country and so, they might be another one that doesn't have that that cohesion like someplace like france or italy has at least for their regional wines so yeah something to think
think about. So anything else on countries that don't seem green? Like, is it, is it, <laughs> I, I mean, it's good to bring up to people to be aware what, what this green and sustainable and everything is, but I, I think people care more about the quality of the wine or, or than they do if it's... I think first and foremost, it's about how does the wine taste? And then people make another decision. Like for all sorts of things, the the product that you're using or that you're buying has to work for you first. And then I think people then make that secondary decision of, oh, is this a smart buy for whatever other reasons are important to you? So not just wine, but food and consumer products and you know makeup and like all that sort of stuff. The product still has to work for you. You still have to like how it tastes or how it, how it works works before you decide this other part of its personality is important to me as well. As a wine buyer, not a wine geek, and you have two two wines, one says it's sustainable, one says it doesn't, they're the same price. Do you go sustainable? Hmm, and I don't know what they taste like? You don't know. Just based on the same price, same grape, but one's saying yeah, sustainable. Yeah, that could, that could be a determining factor for me. If I don't, if I haven't tasted them before and I, and that is the only thing that is different about them, yeah, I might make that, I might make that decision. Thank you for listening to us today on The Wonderful World of Wine. We've been your hosts, Kim Simone and Mark Lenzi. You can find us on Facebook at The Wonderful World of Wine, and we have past episodes on iTunes and SoundCloud. Cheers. Bye, bye, bye.